Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm really delighted this week to have an old friend of mine who was at school with me, uh, and then we met again at Staff College, where he was one of the smartest of our generation, and that's a generation who went on to be three and four-star generals, a number of them, but we've all gone and done different things in our life, but he is particularly interesting in that he then had a, a second career in education, where he was a, a very, a very inspiring teacher, and then used the skills that he'd learned both in the military and in teaching to set up his own compassionate leadership consultancy. But not happy with that, he also writes a marvelous series called the Sam Green series, which are about a, a sort of female version of James Bond or Reacher, who always gets into some amazing scrapes, and we need her right now to sort the country out. Um, and all the conspiracy theories that are going on. Uh, she needs to be able to stop them before they uh, take over the world and the country. So without further ado, I'll let him introduce himself and talk about uh, what he's currently doing at the moment and what makes him passionate. Over to you. Jonathan, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for clearly over-expanding everything and anything I've ever done uh, and, I'm not, and I'm likely to do in the future. Uh, Ronan Adley, I I've just turned 60. Um, and Jonathan's right, I'm on my third career uh, in that I was in, in, in the military from 18, became a school teacher for, a, for a, a good slab of time and then worked my way through to deputy head. Uh, and then I'm now running this compassionate leadership program. Also, um, I, 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 I do write these novels, married, um, two children, uh, first wife, <laughs> sorry, first wife, uh, of, of course, and she's absolutely delightful. And I'm in a motorhome. So uh, if you're worried about or concerned or interested in what the background is, uh, it is a motorhome. And, and I suppose the thing that Jonathan didn't mention, which I, I suppose is interesting from a whole life perspective, is that we lived in a motorhome for five years once I finished teaching and we travelled Europe uh, and everywhere, really, just really trying to get the most out of this very short life that we've been given. I think that's probably um, about enough for me. Yeah, and, and it is an interesting one. And I think as we find, uh, sadly, my brother David died of cancer last year and he was only three years older than us, Roland. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll start to lose friends and people we know. Uh, we won't lose them as in they're somewhere down the garden, but we can't find them. They will actually die as we will. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I think making the most of our life is very important. And to be able to touch the lives of so many people and give them pleasure and interest as an author is a great achievement. And uh, let's let's talk firstly about uh, what I think I'd say I normally ask people what inspiring leadership means to them, but I'd actually like to hear you talk about compassionate leadership and, and uh, how you define it, because I find that very interesting. And then what got you on to write the Sam Green series and other books that you've written? So let's talk firstly about compassionate leadership. But for people listening, how would you define it? And, and when you've had a compassionate leader, apart from it was something you practice yourself as a, you end up as a colonel in the army, a full colonel, um, 
and also in your teaching. What, what do you find makes a compassionate leader? I think the first and most important thing to mention is that compassion doesn't mean you don't make and can't make difficult decisions. It doesn't mean that you can't tell people that they're not necessarily doing the right thing or you want to do things differently. It doesn't mean that you can't, at the end, at the end of the process, remove somebody from the job if they're not doing the job well enough or if, or if indeed they're um, a bad actor within your organisation. It's absolutely, compassionate leadership, compassionate leadership doesn't shirk from those responsibilities. Indeed, actually, it really does dwell on them, if you like, those responsibilities. It's really, really important um, uh, that you don't lose sight of that very, very important process. And frankly, certainly more in schools than in the military, it's something that the middle leaders and senior leaders in schools uh, really struggle to do, have those difficult conversations. Mm. Having said that, compassionate leadership, Jonathan, and I, and I know that you may not necessarily coin your own leadership by the two words compassionate leadership, but I know it's absolutely a mantra that you follow. It's about getting to know your people. It's, it's, it's about investing in them. It's about spending time with them. It's about giving them clear communications. It's about really having empathy where, where you can find it. Um, uh, and, it's, and, and it doesn't matter whether they're the, whether they're the, um, uh, the, the guy that cleans the kitchens in the school or your, your newest private soldier in the military or wh whatever on that spectrum, you treat them all the same. And, and of course, everyone who's listening to this will say, well, that's exactly what I do. Of course, that's what I do. I mean, that's how all good leaders are, aren't they? Um, and my experience is that's not necessarily the case. And so it's about having that empathy. It's about, it's about finding that relationship. It's about spending time with them. It's, a, it's about communicating your intent clearly, but then going along and checking on them. One last thing, and I'll let you then to, to ask me supplementaries. I think that people who say, but that's what I do, I would argue that for quite a few of those people, they spend a lot of time with those people that they find easy to spend time with. So those members of their staff, those members of their team, their business, who they have rapport with, they have a great relationship with, those teachers in schools who do their job well, who, uh, who integrate well, um, uh, who, 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 do the, who do the extra mile, those people who go the extra mile, leaders have no problem um, talking to those, having empathy with those people, having compassion with those people, asking them, you know, the various bits and pieces to make sure their business is going well. Um, those, those aren't necessarily the people that you really need to find the compassion and empathy for. You know, lead, leadership is you spend 10% 10, 10 of your time on um, uh, 90% of your, sorry, you spend 90% of your time on 10% of your people. I think I'm about, about to mis, misquote that. The, bot, the bottom line, excuse me, the bottom line is it's finding the guy who is, or the girl, who is the most difficult person to get to know. The person who isn't necessarily um, doing a good job. It's the person that, whose desk you might avoid as you're walking across the floor plate. Mm. Um, I'll, remember, I'll remember that quote in a second. But it's about reaching everybody um, and spending more time, if necessary, with those people who aren't necessarily in tune with your intent, who don't necessarily follow, um, you know, who, who, who don't necessarily understand um, what the ethos of the company is, for example, or yeah. the school. Yeah, no, I, I think that's so true. And um, this thing about people who are different from us, I think many of those who suffer severe mental health problems often mm. can't cope with people who are very different from them. They want, they, they want just to be with people like them. And those who are the healthiest have that that diversity of understanding people from different backgrounds, sure. 
and, and you and I saw this in the military that, that we, we came across some very good leaders. We came across some incredibly arrogant, privileged people who thought they were leaders, but they were misleaders. They were, sure. they were not inspiring at all. They expired those, or they were bullies mm. um, and uh, were thoroughly unpleasant and threw their weight around. But um, talking of bad actors, uh, you, um, you mentioned that term, which I thought was a great one. You've got this great series, which my wife and I have got every single one of the Sam Green series. Uh, how many are there? Is there nine? There, there, are, there are eight. There are eight. eight. The ninth, you're thinking about the ninth at the moment. But um, tell people about the Sam Green series and, and how you chose Sam as the, the heroine of your book and, and, and roughly what, what they'll get when they have a read of the series. Well, uh, the, 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 the madness of this is I'm a math teacher of science degrees, science, science masters. Um, uh, I'm as, I'm as Ill, Ill, illiterate as the best, the best of you. And yet how somehow um, uh, with imagination and with all the other bits and pieces that have been going on in my life, I, I suddenly wanted to write some stuff down. And when I left the school, um, I had this opportunity and I could have followed, an, as well as running the, the consultancy, I could have, in my spare time, I could have followed a number of artistic, if you like, leads. And I just wanted to stick some stuff, stick some stuff down. And there is an anecdote which I can come on to later of something happened in my military career, which was, if you like, a spawn, the, 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 the start of this, if you like. But I was I was picked on at school, Jonathan. You and I have had this conversation before. Um, and one of the outcomes of that is that I'm not a particular fan of, of bullies. And, and trust me, all, all bullies have reasons to be the way that they are. And we need to, in, in individual cases, understand those and deal with them. Uh, but I was picked on at school and I don't like and, and I really have struggled with people who bullies and organisations who bully. Mm. Sam Green is, is one of those people who was almost certainly persecuted at school and who struggled when she was in the military because she's on the on the autistic um, spectrum, um, uh, because she's savon in the way that some some kids with ADHD have. Uh, and I, I feel like I was drawn to this mythical person who was who was never absolutely not me in a skirt, not me in a skirt from when I was in the military, not me in a me in uh, as, as, as a girl when I was at school, but absolutely somebody who had been through the mill. Uh, and I wanted to give her a voice. Um, and when you have that in you, you then have to use your experience in order to write. Well, what did I have experience of? Well, a little bit of the military, some teaching, some travel. Uh, and that's really how it came together. So I wanted to give voice to, sorry, as an aside, when I was at, in, in teaching at school, um, I spent a lot of time with kids who were on the autistic spe spectrum some really very difficult children. And I saw actually how, um, how marvelous they could be if you directed them, if you looked after them, if you had compassion for them and empathy for them. Um, uh, and that also inspired me, if you like, to, 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 to launch Sam Green. Frankly, then she just took, got a life of, alone, of, of her own. I don't, I don't write her. She writes, and I know that it sounds a cliche, and, and, uh, but she, write, she does write herself, if you like. She is her own person. Yeah. And she, gets, she, gets ahead of me. she gets ahead of me often. Well, it's a cracking read. Um, Thank you. I, I'm, I'm neurodiverse myself. Um, my, okay. Mine is dyslexia and dyscalculia. And I was right. described by my unfortunate teacher at the time who didn't know about these kind of things, that I was thick 
age seven and I was going to be a dustman because I couldn't spell and I couldn't do my maths. But I went right. on to do pure and applied maths at Welbeck with you. You did. Um, yeah. and, and I went on to do an MBA through the Open University and become a visiting professor at a business school. But I was right. determined yeah. to prove that person wrong that I wasn't thick because they sure. made this judgment on me because I was struggling so much with it. So for me, I really related to it. Now, not that I'm on the autism spectrum. Maybe I am. I think perhaps all of us in some way are yeah. along the spectrum. Um, but uh, it, it was very interesting to me. What was the experience that happened in your military that gave a trigger to, to this book as well? Perhaps would you share that? Oh, well, this, 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 when, we, when we were at Staff College, Johnny, you'll remember that we were asked to write a Staff College paper. Uh, and uh, all of us in our own way decided this was an opportunity to prove to anybody who read it, and certainly the senior staff at the college, um, that we were the next Mont Montgomery or, or whoever. Um, and I decided at that particular point, I wanted to show to some extent the futility of technology on the battlefield. Because if you get if you over rely on, on, on technology in, in the battlefield, then you can really come unstuck if you're not careful. Mm. Uh, and I decided to um, put this together by way of a story. So I wrote a short story as the wow. as my staff college paper, wow. uh, and because I've done because I've done a, um, a, a the uh, masters the, the the engineering masters at, at the previous bit of staff college, I was really very much up to date in where technology was on the battlefield, and so I was able to use that in this staff college paper, and I remember my my DS at the time, my directing staff at the time, the guy that was responsible for me and you, uh, and he read this. And he said, this is this is nonsense. You really this is not a staff college paper. You really, really cannot put this in. I'm not prepared to accept this. Whereas my the, the academic who was looking after me said, this is absolutely the first draft of a decent novel. Uh, and I said, well, look, it is what it is. It, put it forward. And and um, I was shortlisted for the Commandant's Prize. Oh, well, so yeah. I realized at that I realized at that point that not only did I enjoy enjoy sorry, loved telling a story. I'm an, I'm an imagineer. I love telling a story. Actually, I was obviously reasonably good at it. Um, and that's, if you like, is the gestation of, of, of when I appreciated that I could do something and I enjoyed the technology. But I mean, I don't know if you've read Tom Clancy or if anyone yeah, who's yes. listening to this. Well, yeah. I mean, he, is, he, is, he, he delivers some really fantastic detail. Um, and I, I'm, I'm clearly not in his league, but I do like to think that the detail is important. So yeah. that, that also comes through. And, and I think that's one of the things that I, I'm always sort of, living the story as I'm reading the book. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I love the detail and, you know, your knowledge of, of technology and the military and things that go on. And um, there's MI5 and MI6 in there. Um, like Tom Clancy and uh, Reacher and things like that. I, I'm sure. When are you going to, when's it going to be turned into a, a TV series or a Netflix series? I'm sure there must be something being lined up because it's I, so, I, I, so. I must admit, I thought we were, I, I thought this was, this was a leadership expose, but if, if you're, I'm absolutely delighted to talk about anything, frankly. Uh, that's also another interesting um, uh, vignette. I, I was skiing uh, after about, after, it's on, on towards the beginning of the third book. Um, and I was skiing and I got a phone call on the slopes and I sort of fumbled my phone out of my pocket. <laughs> And I said, yeah, hello. <laughs> and, and it was this guy with a very thick, almost East End, East End of London gangster accent. And said, hello. Oh, what's his blooming name? I've forgotten his name. Frank, Frank Harper here. And I went, I've no idea who you are. I'm sorry, I've no idea who you are. I've read your book. I want to make it into a film. 
Um, and uh, I mean, from from that, you know, that's what every clearly every um, author wants to hear. Well, Frank Frank was wasn't as good as his word in that it not not he did want to make it into a film, but he needed a screenplay first. Uh, and he said, "I want you to write me a screenplay." So um, I I wrote him a screenplay. I've never written a screenplay in my in my life. It is a completely different um, discipline. I wrote it. He edited it. And then we we have literally the last six years because it's a it's a six one hour series thing of unsuspecting hero the first book. We've literally we've we've asked everybody. Um, so if if there are if anybody out there at the moment, and in the film industry who's looking for a realistic six six part series, um, uh, then I have a screenplay ready for you. Yeah, well, I think it would make a really good really good film. So I would back that and support anybody in the film industry who's listening. Thank um, you. Thank you uh, for that, Ron. And and is it on Audible yet? Um, yes, it is. I... So the, the, this is very good of you. The the first book, um, Unsuspecting Hero, has been read by um, uh, a lady who's, who's currently in in journalism, um, and it's on it's it, it's it's on Audible. You can buy it now on Audible. Unsuspecting yeah, Hero. That's great. Well, it's near and She's done a fabulous. Yeah, that's, yeah my way, that's my way of learning. Okay, great. Well, look, Roland, you. you know, um, the, the next thing I always am interested in with the inspired leaders I have on the series is that because modesty aside, you are an inspired leader. I always found it so when even when you and I were orienteering together, I remember we were often out in the yeah, forest you know, the, with our maps, our maps and compasses. But um, your life journey, what's you know, what shaped you? Um, you know, your parents, your upbringing. I seem to remember father was a soldier uh, and yeah, he uh, also ran a pub. Um, but what, what sh shaped you as well as like me? Uh, I was bullied at Welbeck. You were bullied at school. Mm. Um, what, um, you know, this, this, this idea of championing the underdog and, and, and stopping sure. bullying, I think is runs true for both of us in our lives. What else yeah. uh, in, in five minutes sort of shaped you, particularly in the, give us an idea of some of the things you did in your army career, because that was very interesting as well. Some of the jobs you had and places you went. Sure. Um, uh, I, I, I joined the infantry um, from Welbeck, uh, as you know, Jonathan, and I know you end up up in the infantry too. That was quite difficult to do. And I joined the infantry because my dad was an infantry. Um, uh, and uh, I thought it was, uh, I, I don't know, I, it, it's something that attracted me. Um, I've always been into, into fitness um, uh, and I, I love the, uh, the uncomplexity of the, of, of, the, of, of the general infantry soldier. I just love him and, and I, I don't want to, and, and I hope I'm not in any way being coming across as disparaging as, uh, in, in that respect. Uh, you know, the, 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 the average Tommy are just the best. I've, I've, I mean, I'm still very good friends with lots of them and my RSM um is is a, is, a, is a very very dear pal of mine so i love the uncomplexity of the or the lack of complexity of, of the infantry and i joined because i wanted to join my father's regiment which is what i did um uh, and really as you know that when you join when you get a sand and you come out the other end you join your regiment you're on a bit of a conveyor belt it's very it's not very difficult to get off. It's very difficult to make some. Sorry, it's very difficult to make some wrong choices because it's a meritocracy, because you've got people who are looking after you. You've got the system who wants to get the most from you, and goodness, they bleed you dry. One of the reasons I left. Um, the, it's if you just run with it, you you end up where you end up. And I've been inspired by some really really fantastic leader, and I think that's not the question you're asking. I think that um, what what uh, 
I, lo I loved being on operations. That doesn't make me a warrior because actually in the end, those those operational jobs I did were all in peace enforcement, peace, peacekeeping. So I never went to Hellman, for example. Um, I was not in in a in, in a warrior fighting vehicle crossing the start line in in, in the Iraq in one of the Iraq wars. I mean that wasn't again my choice. That was where I found myself. I, I ended up. But absolutely, I I absolutely adored being on operations with soldiers, in situations certainly post conflict. Um, I served in Bosnia and Afghanistan in Sierra Leone, um, post conflict where we were actually making a, a real difference to people's lives. That came to me most i think probably in sierra leone where i was i was chief of staff of the united nations mission in sierra leone um when it was at its height there were twenty thousand soldiers and we we held we were the security for the um the first free and fair elections in sierra leone um and watching that unfold for me and making that happen and, and it passed off at that instant making that happen was really important to me um, and, and I found it absolutely because Sierra Leone is also one of those places. Any of these countries which have which have yet caught up with where we find ourselves um, uh, in, in, in terms of what we've learned as a nation, in terms of democracy and the rule of law and everything else. These people who are going through that, that growing business of really beginning to understand what it's like to be an independent nation, having just been through ravaged by the most awful civil war. It was it was so enlightening for me to be able to be involved in the process which took them on that further along that journey and do that in an effective way i mean it is by complete chance that when i was in i was the the ops officer for, for the first division in, in in bosnia under the nato banner it was also exactly then when bosnia held its first free and fair elections so i i know a little bit about um uh you know providing force and soldiers for securing elections Mm. Um, and how important that process is and how we um, as individuals and also as groups and nations really take if, 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 if we if we don't cling on to democracy and our ability to better influence it and vote on it we don't grab that with both hands and hold on to it in, in for, for, for our dear life mm. uh, for dear lives then then I think we're missing point yeah. so that that's if you like and and so that's if you that, that's if you like the the more um the bigger issues but there was something really special about being an infantry officer yeah and i'm not in any way i'm not in any way saying anything against about all the other officers and all the other corps there was absolutely something completely organic about serving with infantry soldiers being as an infantry platoon commander being an infantry company commander being an infantry um, commanding officer um there was something really really very i mean you can reach every every bloke and every girl now and long long may that continue yeah uh, well, and they they taught me more that those soldiers and the way those soldiers behaved and the way that you could you could make them do things they didn't necessarily want to do but actually was part of their mission where you could you could get them to do things in in a um uh that they weren't necessarily prepared to do i think that's and that's fantastic Real, yeah. a real privilege. We can talk about privilege later. No, I, I think you're so right. And and I look back and I've got sort of a little memento here with my little Scott Scots Guards poppy. Uh, yeah. My my platoon that I commanded as a in the Scots Guards on attachment when I was a Royal Signals Officer was was some of my happiest days. Maybe it was in Cyprus and we were oh. doing the double mountain marathon, you know, which you and I love. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, um, I did that. 
and, and also commanding a company in the Green Howards, now the Yorkshire Regiment yeah. in Warrior in Bosnia, uh, was again uh, some of the proudest, happiest moments I had. Um, if you look back in your time in the army, um, who would you pick out as a couple of uh, inspiring leaders who you'd say also were compassionate leaders and you want to give them a call out as being really great leaders? Who, who would you name? When I was a platoon commander, um, uh, my uh, uh, RSM, let's just call him Bob, my RSM, Bob, um, sorry, my RSM, he was the battalion's RSM, I was just a subaltern. Uh, if, you don't understand the, if you don't understand the rank structure, he is the senior, sorry, and clearly you do, but there may be people who listen to this who don't. He was the most senior soldier, and I was a platoon commander. So if you look, I don't know if you can see my hands, he was up, he was up here in terms of, of, of influence, and I was down here running a small group of, of, of soldiers. Um, uh, and he was absolutely upright. I mean, he's both physically upright, but, but, but both in terms of physical courage and fitness, he was absolutely up there. But morally, he was completely and utterly upright. He, um, I, I never saw him um, scream at a soldier. I never saw him make a bad decision. But the soldier, they revered him. Uh, they loved him. I mean, and, and that's a very, very, um, it's, it's, a, it's an emotive word, but it's a really, really important word, I think, when you're looking at, at leading soldiers. Um, uh, and he was he was absolutely inspirational to me because not, not only did he manage to command that respect in such an easy way, but that he was he was first in. And I don't mean in, you know, out of the trenches. He was probably one of the people, first people in work and he'd be one of the last people um, uh, to, to leave work. And he was everywhere. And there's one particular example. Can I give you an example of why he, he was important? Uh, and it may seem trivial at, at the outset, but it, it, obviously not to me because it's stuck with me um, uh, for what, 35, 40 years now. We'd just finished training um, somewhere on a German plane uh, and we had, we, we had to get our vehicles on train flats back to our base. Um, and that was not an uncomplicated process. Um, but at the end of that, once we got our vehicles on, then we we're all going to get on the train or most of us going to get on the train and go back to barracks. One of the captains had brought a car uh, and he shouted across to me and said, hey, Roland, come on, come, come back. We'll be back in time for the, the train will take forever because it takes forever to get across the German countryside. We'll get back into the mess and have a couple of beers. Uh, and Bob, um, uh, RSM Bob, came across to me because I wasn't in the car. And he said to me on just one side, almost like the other guy couldn't see him, he said, you're not getting on that. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah. probably not. Yeah. not. You're not getting on. You're not getting in that effing car, sir. You're staying with your soldiers. You got it. Um, and Bob is absolutely right. So, and, and he was absolutely right. And, and why didn't I know that when I was 21? Well, I didn't know that when I was 21. I didn't, you know, I'm learning my, I mean, we learn about leadership and management every day that we're, we're responsible for people. Um, and I didn't. And I, and I got in the, in, in the carriage with the blokes um, uh, and we all got back together and we all got home late and, uh, you know, dirty and smelly and absolutely exhausted. Um, and I wasn't one of the one of the men, one of the officers coming out of the officer's mess um, and having had a couple of points, meeting my soldiers half cut, which, which was an awful thing and I hope never happened in my unit. Um, but it was just interesting. But he had that aura. Um, uh, it just and, and he's still doing it now. So he left the army, but at the same time, I did maybe a little bit later. He was commissioned, made it up to major, left the military, and he's now spending his life um, moving around East Anglia, looking after other soldiers who've left the military. Wow! And you know, I have 
the greatest respect for Bob. Wow. Really got that that, that very, he has he has that all very fine story and it, and it does remind me of of uh, Ian Buckley who um, like your father came through the he, he was in the Royal Signals but he served with the Commandos mm. um, and got his his dagger uh, was a very strong fit guy I think he's still I'm sure he's still alive but when I went to Harrogate to the Army Apprentice College as a young Royal Signals uh, troop commander. Um, I came in and I saluted him. He was a captain. And I said, uh, my name's Jonathan. I've come to report for duty, sir. And, and I hope you can teach me because I'm willing to learn. I've only just come from Santos. He said, boy, he said, you have just come from Santos. I thought I had some little shit who was so pleased with himself, but you got the right attitude. You learn from me. I've been in RSM and sure. I will look after you and I will teach you. Yeah. And, and he, he taught me and he taught me how soldiers thought and how that whatever had happened the night before, I was sure. there before them, running with them, never talking and sure. bragging about my party sure. antics or like that, just leading from the front. And inspirational, Ian Buckley. Sure. Um, so, yeah. Roland, next question for you. Happiest, uh, proudest moment of your life and, and the darkest moment of your life and work or life, whatever it might be, and what you learnt from them, what they taught you that you'd pass on to others. Yeah. Um, let, let, let's talk about the darkest moment of my life first, shall we? Um, and I think mental health is really important. My my younger daughter has has been has been beset with mental health issues for uh, a, a good fifteen years, and so I have a little bit of experience in that. And not not only that, as a teacher, you come across it um, uh, often. I think the darkest moment of my life is one of those days when uh, I woke up in the morning and and really really didn't want to go to work. And I absolutely sense how some people break down, have a breakdown. Some people break down and they cannot, you know, get themselves dressed and get into work. Um, and I need to be a little bit careful, careful here, because if, if people listen to this who know me and, and if know the school I work for, they may be to unpick this and put names to, to, um, to the vignette. But, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. I, I was there was there was a senior. Uh, I was a deputy head at the time. Um, uh, and there was a senior uh, member of staff um, who was really struggling to do to work properly and was actually, frankly, cutting corners and not necessarily doing a great job. And I put my hand up and said, look, I have some leadership experience. You know, why don't I go down there and mentor and coach that person, see if we can get through this? And so I went down there um, uh, and I, I actually worked it, it out of their office. And I'm not bragging by saying I still did all my other work, which I did. I was still teaching, um, blah de blah. But I did. I worked out their office, and I worked for for them for three months. And and it didn't take me very long, although I knew already where the issues were. And I was very honest. I was very frank. These difficult conversations, which I talk about, which is so important. And I had those difficult conversations. And it was a, it was a lady had those difficult conversations with it with with a lady, um, uh, under no uncertain terms, and she maybe typically had answers for everything um and i knew that the only way out of this and it absolutely wasn't my responsibility the only way out of this was for that woman to to, to be remo removed from post that she that her that she didn't fit with the school's ethos um and uh, it wasn't good to work and um she didn't have the experience actually she didn't have she didn't want it really and i'd like to spend 30 seconds at some point talking about privilege um, but she 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 was in it for the wrong she was in it for the wrong reason. She wanted to be a she wanted to run this particular part of the school, 
because of because of the accolades that came with it, not necessarily because of the uh, the uh, choices and difference that she could make. At the end of three months, um, I hadn't given myself a time frame. Uh, I, I knew that I wasn't actually going to make this work. So there was there was there was nothing that I could do that I hadn't already tried that was going to other than the, 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 the senior management to actually remove her from post or the head to remove her from post, which she wasn't prepared to do. And, and there are all sorts of good reasons and bad reasons, poor reasons for that. That was it wasn't going to work. And uh, there have been three or four days where I literally didn't want to go and sit in the office and have the same conversations. Um, I, I was complete. I was emotionally completely and utterly drained. And I can again, I can understand how people have breakdowns. No, I went to them on Saturday morning because we worked on Saturdays and I wrote an email because it's always helpful, I think, to <clears throat> when you have an issue to, to articulate it down on paper first um, rather than go in. And then it also gives the person, this is a sort of leadership um, uh, uh, um, help, if you like, it also gives the person that you're having a difficult conversation or a conversation with have a chance to read your mind first before you go in their office. And I sent the email, about to send the email to the head saying, given this three months, it's not going to work. Um, over to you. I'm really sorry. To all intents and purposes, I failed this, um, and I was struggling. About 15 minutes later, before I'd sent the, before I sent the email, um, the, the lady I was mentoring came into the office and said, literally burst burst into tears and said, "I can't do this anymore. I've got to go." And those two things happened at exactly the same time, which was just complete luck. <clears throat> so we got the result. I got the result that absolutely was best for her and also best for the school. Mm. She which in fact, she's gone on to do much better things by doing something different. Mm. Um, she was, she was a, a, a round peg in a square hole. Mm. Uh, uh, and you know, everything was sweetness and light, but, but just before she walked into the office, I have never felt exhausted. So alone. So actually disappointed with myself for not making something work. Um, uh, and, it, and it was a real struggle, but in the end, uh, it, it was it was fine. You could argue that those are two sides of, of your question, Jonathan. That's both mm. one of the worst mm. things, the most disappointing, the darkest moments. But also, if you like, at the end of that, because I'd, I'd managed to make something happen, one of the one of the um, one of the best. I mean, there are, I have been one of the luckiest people alive. I have I've had a lovely wife. I've got fantastic children. Uh, I had a, a brilliant. Uh, there's not a moment I, I would say I, I could say would you miss the army and I said I'd, I, I, I wouldn't have missed a moment of it and I don't miss it for a moment because I moved on and I wouldn't have missed a moment of it every every hour every day I spent in the military was just perfect mm. um, do I miss do I miss the school no not at all I had a fantastic eight years um, uh, really enjoyed it. I absolutely adore teaching um, uh, and uh, do, do I enjoy what I'm doing now? Do I, do I enjoy influencing other people by coaching and mentoring them? Absolutely. Do I enjoy writing? Absolutely. Do I enjoy traveling? Absolutely. Do I have a particular moment in my life that that, that, that I would put above any of those? Clearly the day I got married. Clearly the, 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 the day I had my first and my second child. My grandchild is just the, the apple of my eye. I don't know if that answers your, answers your question. It does. Um, it there does. is one particular instance which, which I would put necessarily above the other. Yeah. No. Winning, lovely, winning, lovely winning the 800 meters. The, winning the 800 meters in the battalion as a as a subaltern. I mean, cool. uh, there are th thousands, you know, thousands doing yeah. doing the walkabout like doing the walkabout like you did, Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. That it is, was, it's absolutely up there. 
Which year was it you went and did the Cypress Walkabout? Oh, 1999. We, we, nice. we, won, we won the boot. We won the boot. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. So I was did, really, yeah. really, really pleased with, with uh, the team. Me, my, the, the then... See the RSM. He might well have been a different RSM at that particular point, and actually a, a, a full corporal. The three of us did it, and we had just, yeah, fantastic, exhausting, but great. Yeah, fantastic. No, it's uh, it's a, a moment I'll remember all my life, coming in through the finish line. Um, Absolutely. With uh, your experience in teaching, um, what hmm. piece of advice, uh, if you went back to see yourself, age sixteen to eighteen, would you have given to yourself? Roland, this matters, that doesn't. You know, just thinking about people who've got children that age, 16 to 18, what's your your your, your bit of advice to them? I, th I think, and I've, I've used this piece of advice a lot, and maybe, maybe I, I give you the example of how I've used the advice that may put some flesh in the bones rather than give you in, in a sort of generic term. Um, uh, I was there at the school for eight years. Every year, the next set of prefects would be announced. Um, and there'll be a bunch of very pleased kids and a bunch of very disappointed kids. Um, and and the, the, the piece of advice I'd, I'd give to them is that head boys and head girls don't always, more often than not, don't make captains of industry. Head boys and head girls don't go on necessarily to be um, consultant surgeons. They don't necessarily go on to be, you know, ministers of government. They don't necessarily go on to be lieutenant generals or generals or or, or whatever. Um, the people who go on to do that are um, those people who've taken education seriously, who have who have a joy for life, and and work very hard. So, this disappointment that you may be feeling now, um, uh, that you didn't make prefect or you didn't make head boy head girl, it's very transitory not important because you've still got the whole of your life ahead of you to make all those differences that you need to, that you need to make so my my advice to me would have been um uh, this is just part of the journey roland um you have every opportunity now to make a difference as you go as you go along um you you, you must seize the opportunities hmm. it is at the end of the day jonathan as we both know though unless we come from very well to do and, and families or we or we win the um uh, the lottery at the end of the day this is all about endeavor isn't it mm -hmm. i mean clearly you've got to have talents in some areas clearly you've you've got to learn clearly there's a whole load of education i know you've done a lot of you, you are you are much much better um uh, qualified and educated than i am in, in terms of leadership but but what makes your success is endeavor if you if you if you're not prepared to work hard um, sorry, if you do work hard, then you pretty much can achieve most things. So don't be disappointed where you find yourself. The opportunities, and it doesn't matter whether you're 16 to 18 or whether you're talking to a six-year-old like me. I'm currently practicing the guitar a lot. Mm. And have a guess. You know how I get better? By, by, by practicing, by working hard. That's how you improve. Yeah, no, there's there's no doubt about it, and uh, I, I love that story, and you know, particularly the word of endeavour, uh, which mm. reminds me of, um, um, you know, Shackleton, and uh, you know sure. his his, his endeavour, and it was a, it's a great story about what he did on Elephant Island, and and he came back and he lost no men, he he actually sure. all of them came home. Um, if you could change your life, uh, what would you 
do again differently? Or was there a crucible moment in your life that you want to highlight one or other of those really? What, what do you think? I, 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 don't, I don't want to, um, uh, to just reaffirm what I told you about seven or eight minutes ago, which I'm the luckiest person alive. Um, and I know that there's, a, there's an element of danger of being flippant here or too pleased with myself. I'm uh, actually more pleased with myself than flipping probably. Um, uh, that the, there isn't there isn't anything in particular that I would. I mean, I, I think the timing of the of the major decisions that Claire and I have made together, like leaving the military at 44, we both just my wife was a house parent, leaving leaving the school after eight years. <clears throat> those things, and then doing the things that we've done. I think the the the, the timing of those have been fortuitously good very fortunate that we've made those decisions when, when when we've made them and i think the military is struggling now i think it's struggling in terms of numbers i think there is an element and i, and I don't know because i haven't really kept in touch do i miss it i don't i don't i wouldn't miss the moment of it i don't miss it for a moment um so i don't really know but as my, my understanding is that the, the numbers are a problem i think that lack of operational opportunities now is a problem for the military i think that equipment is a problem i think the money's a problem for all government departments um so I'm I'm glad to be out. I'm I'm glad to be out of that. And we we you and I had the best careers at the best time. I think probably. Mm, mm. Um, I, I would agree. Mm. I would agree with that. Now, thank you for that, Roland. And we're going to do a quick whistle stop tour um, sure. around just the components of of the particular model that I uh, am interested to hear from you. And just really your top tip on each, because it just a little soundbite yeah. would be would be perfect. Firstly, moral quotient, true north. Um, sure. what, what's a tip you'd give people when they lose that that true north? They come off true north, they drift away from it, they make a mistake, and they have to bring themselves back. What would be your top tip yeah. about about that? I mean, I, I think I think, and again, this this may be too trite to comment, but I think the most important thing, if you like, which helps you wake up, is that bad the bad news doesn't get better with age. Hmm. So you know, if 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 you if you've done if you haven't quite got something right. If you've made a mistake, I think the most important thing is to front up to that. Mm. I mean, as, as a boss, I mean, I at one point my largest command span was 1,200, 1200 people. I'd like to think that what I what I in, engendered in those twelve hundred was, you know, if you've if you've messed up, then we need to know about it now. We, this is this is and and frankly, we can deal with it, we can deal with why you made that mistake in, in due course, but we need to get on and sort it out. So I think that my my the, the, the true north the true north thing is I mean some people are just not very moral, Jonathan. There's nothing you can do about it. Some people cut corners, some people make, will continuously make bad decisions because that's the way that they are. But those people who feel that they need that that, that, that they want to follow a path which is I use your words true north. I think the advice is the moment that you know that you've gone, then 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 fess up to that, uh, acknowledge it, speak to somebody. Speak to those. Speak to the person who it affects. If necessary, speak to. If you can, speak to your boss. It's about. It's about about being honest with yourself. Bad news does not get better with age. Yeah. It really doesn't. Mm. Beautifully put, and and so true. When I think back to mistakes that I've made, or when I yeah. lost lost my way and and had to admit to mistakes I'd made and crass things I'd done. I think poor judgment. I looked back through my my army career of 20 years and got the past reports and i think the thing that sunk me at one stage and and prevented me from getting promoted as the earliest opportunity post staff college was the fact that somewhere in one moment 
to a person I never met, but he said, um, uh, I questioned his judgment. And that's a killer. If your judgment sure. is questioned, you are dead in the water. And, sure. and I, I've learned from that since whether whatever sure. it was that I must have done, um, where he questioned my judgment, a person I'd never met, but was up in the senior ranks, some story must have got back to him. Uh, sure. Was, was I mean, I, I mean, I, I can just dwell on, dwell on that for a second. I think it's really important. Some some people just don't have great judgment. Um, you know, there, there is there is an emotional intelligence thing going on here. If your emotional intelligence quotient is high, then most then most of the time, nearly all of the time, you'll make good judgment. Some people don't, and, and that's not their fault. It is just the way they are. I mean, some people are good at something, some people are not so good at other things. If your emotional intelligence is not is is not great, you may well make poor decisions. The, the, the beauty about being responsible for others, the beauty about leading, is that you can take advice. Unfortunately, Roland and I had a problem with the recording at that stage. I think Roland living in a caravan makes communications quite difficult for such a remote, inspiring leader like Roland and an author. Adds to his mystique, I think. So please understand that we now skip straight to Roland's top tip. Yeah, hi, Roland Ladley, uh, ex-military, ex-teacher, uh, now running a compassionate leadership um, uh, organisation, giving advice and support to members of uh, the teaching profession and also the civil service. Uh, and I'm also an author, um, but that's not a sideline. But it's a, but but it's it's not as necessarily as important as as supporting other people in their leadership roles. Uh, Jonathan's asked me to give you get to give you a top tip. I think that the, the top tip is this. Um, whatever you're responsible for, the worst thing that ever befalls that organisation may well happen on your watch, whatever it is. You won't necessarily be judged on that. You'll absolutely be judged on how you deal with it. So my, my very, very clear advice is every day when something happens, uh, the, 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 it, it's the way that you focus on and get through, get your organisation through that, which is much, much more important necessarily than um, why that thing went wrong in the first place. Clearly, you're going to work out why over time and make sure it doesn't happen again. But it's absolutely, you'll be judged on how you deal with it, not necessarily on the fact that it happened on your watch. Brilliant. Great advice. Roland, thank you very much. Um, having you on the series is a great honour. Uh, I love your books, as does uh, friends and my wife. And I wish you every success with your compassionate Thank you. leadership. Thank you very much. Thanks. Jonathan, you too. Thank you so much. And good, good luck with the course you're going on. Thank you. Thank you, Roland. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.